I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, before we get started, I wanted to let you know that in response to the pandemic, this week, the Architecture Foundation has kicked off a new project. It's called the 100 Day Studio, and it brings you a daily diet of online lectures, interviews, building tours, and panel discussions, all live and all free. For more information, go to architecturefoundation.org.uk. And while you're there, consider becoming a member or giving a donation. It's through your support that projects like the 100 Day Studio and this podcast are possible. Okay, now onto the show. You're listening to Scaffold, a podcast featuring interviews with architects, artists, and designers. I'm your host, Matthew Blunderfield. This week features my conversation with the Italian architect Francesca Torza, who founded her practice in 2008, but is perhaps best known for her recently completed Z33 Museum in Belgium. I met with Torza at a hotel in Shoreditch this past February, the morning after a lecture she'd given for the Architecture Foundation. We talked about, among other things, how patterns of myth and ancient storytelling have informed Torza's own narrative of her work the sense of humble detachment she's cultivated in her practice, and the way she's drawn from the world of literature to help expose and articulate the deeper cultural layers of architecture. And now, here's the interview. I hope you enjoy it. You were not there yesterday. I was. Oh, you were there? I was. I was sitting in the back. Um, okay. Yes, I was there. Uh, and I, how, how was it for you? I felt very enchanted by the lecture um, in a way that I don't often feel when I come to see architects talk about their work. <laughs> that is good. Um, mm. And I'm on my way over this morning, I was trying to um, explain to myself where that sense of enchantment came from. And I think it has to do with uh, how otherworldly both your work is and you are as a person, based on this brief impression I had of the lecture last night, where I felt like in some way you just kind of uh, emerge from the mists, <laughs> the way your buildings appear to you, um, from some other time and some other place. Um, another thing that I I was astonished by was the sense of freedom that you seem to have been able to grant yourself in the way that both you design your buildings, but also that you explain them and you express yourself to a public. And so, I wonder maybe if we could start 
there, wh where does this sense of freedom come from? The question is, is very interesting because uh, you are touching my uh, most precious value, freedom. But then freedom may be very abstract. And they would not say I gained, but I protect a certain degree of freedom. Uh, you ask uh, where it comes from, and maybe that, that question I'm not really able to answer. I, uh, I feel more at ease uh, in uh, recalling uh, where my interest is or what matters to me. During the work, uh, I'm always very curious of uh, uh, cultural context uh, and uh, a material context which is very wide. It's not only the, the site given for an assignment. And so uh, always starts from listening to a kind of storytelling uh, about landscape, uh, urban context, uh, people. But it is a plurality of, um, of variables and ingredients uh, and maybe that comes also from my uh, personal history. Uh, I thought I would be physics or a writer. I didn't have a plan becoming an architect. It was maybe a kind of postponing the choice and therefore I uh, am always uh, seeking for uh, a plurality of, uh, of stories. So I'm very fascinated by construction, technique. I uh, love to go to museums of any kind. Uh, anecdotes are highly valuable as well as uh, myth uh, stories uh, mm -hmm. but in that sense uh, more people are like me don't think I'm uh, exceptional but indeed uh, the, there is a tenacity and also probably rising from uh, an incapability of uh, making a move if I do not understand or if I'm not convinced of a, a kind of loyalty of an asset. Uh, you have many negotiations in the practice of making big links, which are negotiations at a cultural level, at a material level, and many times uh, I encounter, but I think that happens in uh, several professions, um, a kind of automatic uh, mechanicism of uh, choices uh, which have no motivation before. For example, in the building site uh, of Belgium, the House for Art, uh, uh, the builder was an association of two uh, companies, Hauben and Belenko, and they both told in different moments uh, of the process uh, that before this building site, they told that things were done in one way. And this one way was relating on convention, uh, on habit, uh, on uh, prejudice, also a certain degree of laziness <laughs> of thinking. And after this building site, uh, they are, it's, they say this building site is a proof uh, that just everything is possible if you just stop and think. So the protection of my freedom is otherwise said uh, for me, um, the protection uh, of um, honest life and practice, mm -hmm. where 
the curiosity is feeding and fed by formulating fresh questions and precise questions, which are naturally all the time different because life around is all the time different. Mm. This sense of honesty also came through um, in your talk last night, an earnestness. Um, and I feel, as an architect, quite vulnerable um, when I put myself in a place of total earnesty, vulnerable to being taken advantage of or to um, investing all of my efforts in a kind of passionate expression that then is preyed upon by other industries or other, other actors in the broader field of architecture. Basically, architects work so hard, and I imagine you work harder than most. And in your case, your earnestness and your honesty has played to your advantage. But for many architects, I get this sense that they kind of toil at their own expense. And I just wonder how, maybe this comes back to this sense of, I guess, freedom, freedom to um, invest in one's own work and to commit fully to one's own work. But how do you have the confidence, or how did you have the confidence, probably at the outset of a project like Z33, to be able to throw everything into it? Everybody is vulnerable. Uh, it's not uh, easy to face uh, uh, the conflict, contradiction of one's expectations and also the uh, practicalities of life. But mostly, I think, are hurting the expectations and projections one has on its own life. And I believe it's a very hard time for architects, architects today mm. because it's, um, in a way, paradoxically, a highly spe specialized profession, but with all the time less and less competence recognized. Mm. Architects are in charge of the impossible task of uh, formulating uh, a new image of life for people, image or imaginary. So it is very difficult. From my side, I'm insensitive to that. It's not merit. It is uh, how I feel. I'm really simply curious. And so I do not uh, feel the pressure of um, a profile for my practice or my work, but I'm just interested in the work itself and that releases me from uh, uh, a lot uh, of uh, human uh, uh, stumbling and fighting mm. I guess mm. you spoke about confidence and uh, strangely I would not speak about myself as uh, that confident in the sense that uh, I'm stubborn and I'm curious. 
And if you do not understand, I don't move. So I can t take very extreme stance just because uh, I need understanding. I would not call it confidence. It is an urge. In fact, yesterday evening, I was very nervous. And you said as much when you started the lecture. Yes. I said, better to say it at the beginning, and so it's clear that uh, if, uh, if it is that visible, uh -huh. people already know. So we are all more relaxed. It's interesting. You'd often assume that to be free requires confidence. But in hearing you talk last night, um, there was such an... Uh, I guess there is a, a stated lack of confidence, but there is such an agility and um, fluidity through which you, you know, pass from one thought to the next and one association to the next. Um, I felt like it was kind of hypnotic and I felt like I was being invited into your subjective experience. It was an invitation you were giving to kind of join you on this this train of thought and I guess to give people a sense of what you actually talked about because I'm being quite abstract right now um, there was a structure to the presentation that um, focused on the um, Z33 Museum in Hasselt uh, Venice Biennale exhibition in 2018 and uh, your work in China but the way you spoke about these things, um, you had kind of threaded your thoughts, or you'd established your thoughts on the foundations of other thinkers. Walter Benjamin came up. Levi Strauss was the kind of introductory. And Sergio Celibidate. Yes. And then I think with these kinds of figures, uh, forming a kind of constellation, maybe, under which you're thinking. I wonder, like, what is the tradition of thought that you're a part of, if any? Um, what kind of examples are you, are you leading by to be able to think this way, or to be able to kind of make these connections to talk about your work? Uh, uh, due to my um, pro, um, very solid shyness when I was a child and a teenager. I've been, uh, I was also very often ill, so I've been growing up with books. So I've been, I, 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 I need reading. Therefore, there is uh, an infinite constellation like the sky. There are so um, many incredible minds that have lived and that always can help you. Even, even when they contradict each other. Th that is what, I'm, uh, what, what touches me so much. That uh, humankind uh, is since such a long time reflecting uh, on its own life, uh, but in a such uh, sentimental, not romantic, sentimental as a living being made of thoughts uh, and emotions uh, abstractness uh, and uh, materiality since millennia. I have this uh, astonishment and wonder how did a man, which was almost a monkey, 
8,000 years ago start engraving dances on a rock. Isn't it unbelievable how that happened? That a monkey started making a tool to portray a dance or hunting of giraffes, so to represent rituals and moments of life which are holding already all this imagination. Mm -hmm. So there is a mystery that I hope will stay a mystery for all my life. So I don't <laughs> think there is a, a sorting out. And uh, it, it's very warm to listen to you and also a relief because I, I indeed I was working really uh, profoundly on the, the talk of last evening uh, because I highly respect the institution and uh, I uh, was hoping to give a contribution, uh, a solid contribution to the institution and Alice. And, uh, and the construction was indeed uh, like uh, a, a storytelling, uh, an antique storytelling, a, a mythological storytelling which has always a kind of circular time. Uh -huh. And so it was very important, it was, uh, I, I think from your question that you noticed that there were kind of inner circles. Uh, mm -hmm. So there was a kind of almost invisible repetition from uh, all the chapter and then a main uh, coming back to the beginning mm. and uh, why, why the choice of this structure of uh, narrative um, it is uh, tuning uh, my, uh, the talking and the words uh, and the pace uh, the main question uh, of my daily, which is how can you have an understanding which is uh, precise, logical, and at the same time reading a kind of unconscious level that is for me all this cultural layering through millennia. It's not uh, a bubble of uh, feelings that is embarrassing to talk about mm. um, and to and the only way I found is through kind of a folk uh, structure mm. Mm. where you reapproach some uh, key figures uh, personage uh, or key questions uh, through meeting them again and again mm. in that way uh, it's like the mind has time to rest uh, mm. with the personage and think about something different and uh, the um, the will of presenting a selection of projects or three but start with the detriennal exhibition cosmos without talking about the exhibition really is because i think the most interesting thing are, are when you don't have a footnote mm. so to show you something but speak about something different mm -hmm. The mind of people I observe uh, has hungriness all the time. Like also children. They, uh, they respect you when uh, you challenge them, not through competition, but when uh, their curiosity is kept alive. And it's not, a, again, a race or a game, uh, but the mind of human being I observe has hunger all the time and is in need, uh, in need uh, of uh, 
at the same time, attention, movement and privacy. Mm. That is also what I'm looking in the building. When uh, uh, we were talking about Site 33, I just uh, sketched uh, a small note uh, that all spaces are a little bit uh, smaller than you would need uh, or feel a little bit bigger than you would expect. And that displacement, which is really very subtle, mm. is to allow people to uh, and now I can say it works, uh, so I'm very happy uh, to allow people uh, to have a, a space on their own, uh, even when they are with others. Yeah. So if you go in the street, you always see uh, gestures. If you, we look down now, all people choose their way of walking on the street, meaning they choose on which side they walk, because so if there is this convention of one direction or the other, but each individual uh, is making him herself at comfort. It is a cultural instinct. And also you see how people, uh, you see that, that man, he chose a place on his own now, in between the light uh, and the yellow metal stick. If you observe people and uh, gestures, you see that there are kind of recurrent gestures and that is where I read culture mm. and this happens also with buildings the way you're describing the people on the street right now obviously translates into a curiosity about people generally and you kind of the way you're talking and the way you're observing to me you talk like a writer you talk like a novelist almost and you have this isn't all about that yes making spaces don't yes. you think so I think so and so there's, to me, as I hear you speak, a novelist's sensibility at play. I mean, further to that point, um, Chaosmos, which is the title of the exhibition um, you put on at Venice. In Milano. In Milan, In Milano. sorry. In Milan, at the Tri Triennale. Yes. Um, the title is taken from James Joyce's Finnegan's Wake. Um, and then f for another exhibition, which I think was part of the Venice Biennale, um, you had, you had written a monologue about spaces, which was adapted from Virginia Woolf's... Words Fail Me. Exactly, her famous essay, Words Fail Me. And what you had done very deftly is changed words to spaces um, and made some subtle alterations beyond that. But this, this kind of fluidity between the meaning of words and the meaning of spaces, or words as a kind of tool for transmitting meaning, and spaces as a tool for transmitting meaning, or perhaps a vessel for transmitting meaning, um, seem to resonate so much. And I guess that ties into this question of the writerly sensibility you have and how integral that is to the architect's sensibility. Mm -hmm. It is. Um was Wittgenstein saying, quoting, um, what you cannot speak, you should keep silent. <laughs> and so it's very difficult to speak about spaces, especially um, for uh, where is my interest, uh, without uh, sounding vague uh, 
or naive uh, or romantic, uh, to speak with precision. That's why I am uh, asking help uh, to novelists. And uh, I feel uh, very precise both uh, the, uh, this um, calling a new word by Joyce uh, and uh, uh, Virginia Woolf uh, interview of the 37 because uh, they are able with simplicity to exactly welcome the paradox of understanding between individual and collective uh, the depth and uh, layered uh, slow process of culture the paradox of rationality and intuitive in any human being without being soapy, without being romantic or embarrassing, with a certain degree of dryness combined with empathy. So you feel that there is a getting moved by life. I remember the, I think it's uh, the opening of one of the tales by Nabokov, Ada or um, Ada Vero Lardore, Ada or the Passion. Maybe I'm making for sure a wrong uh, translation of the title, where he is portraying in literally maybe five lines uh, a soft man in a changing room, in a shop for elegant dresses, uh, and he's struggling with his body because he doesn't feel comfortable, it's too big. Uh, he would, wouldn't like that uh, uh, big body. He's trying to fit into a jacket and a pair of trousers, when from an opening of the door, he sees all through the shop uh, and the window, and he sees on the street a beautiful foot with shoe of his beloved one coming out of a uh, carrozza. And that is made in five lines. Mm. And Nabokov was writing in English mm. most of the time, not in, uh, in Russian. And uh, I, uh, I think, uh, in a way, like um, Virginia Woolf was saying, but they say it better than me, uh, with spaces uh, you, don't, you don't feel comfortable to be told how you should lift them. But you leave them before living them, before feeling them. You think them before you are in. But luckily people normally don't have to think all of this. But as an architect, as my responsibility is to make spaces, I do have to think about that. Yeah. So how do you orchestrate spaces? So it's not uh, writing a plot for me. Like for a novel, it's more building an open, precise narrative which has a certain degree of rigidness in its physical being that allows a plurality of plots inside, so it allows interpretation of people. Then, uh, yes, there is uh, a secret silent orchestration, like direct orchestra director, so there is uh, always a, 
uh, narratives, the spaces of that retreat are extremely different from the dance school, as from the Pambulabri Pavilion, as from another house I made uh, uh, in Tuscany. As from, so each project uh, is extremely different from one to the other, but one common thing they have uh, is this uh, multi-plurality, which is also what I mostly love uh, of uh, author or without author buildings. Mm. A space where you like to go back because it speaks of different time, uh, different cultures, Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not, uh, never dies, keeps on living. But even the Pantheon, which is one room, you would say, but it has so many scales inside, so, uh, so much narrative. Mm. In the bas relief, it has been inhabited, and also the, all the cycle of statues is different, fr uh, different time from the flooring, uh, and of course from the dome. So different time layered, but they protected uh, a story of the space, uh, which is not a plot. studying architecture but even when I studied architecture I had no idea what was making buildings. I loved to study uh, history, I loved uh, to discover the craziness that uh, like uh, the main mathematical tool which is a base of software to calculate uh, structures and prove stability was ba almost invented to uh, discuss and prove the existence of God. Mm -hmm. No, like the infinite integ integ integrali. And, um, Dancing, that dance, uh, I, I, uh, very important dance for me. Still today, also don't have time, and I, I work so much that I don't succeed in dancing how much I would like to. But uh, it's um, I did different types: classical dance, contemporary dance, tango, and. Um, I never thought about it. Uh, uh, it's just that you have uh, your body, you have the music, uh, and you have other bodies. Uh, some are moving, uh, your companions of the dance uh, or improvisation, and then you have a public. It's a very complex uh, constellation of relations. There is a lot about space, but there is also a lot, a lot about 
unpredictable reaction happenings. And with dance, it's very clear that when it is not full, the movement, it's painful. So it's beautiful with dance that when you see it's all natural, there is a lot of work behind to achieve that naturalness. And all the point is to be natural. And when it is not natural, you, al you almost feel your body uh, <coughs> shouting. It's uh, a movement. Now, when you feel it stopped, you feel unfinished, you feel incomplete. The same thing is also thinking spaces. But this is almost a little bit embarrassing to me because it's very personal. And, uh, but it's very clear for me the sensation. The, the, the sensation. Mm. But it's really embarrassing me a little. Why? Um, maybe I should rephrase it. <laughs> um, I think that my experience with dancing, but also with playing the flute, is when uh, you don't achieve the fullness of the sound or with your body, or the fullness of a movement with your body, the space and other body, but in the first place your body, you are mortified, you crumble. It's really um, unbearable. And the same thing with space is when it's not, uh, there is no, um, if you follow a rule in a mechanical way, you, you can't get fullness because you're, you're doing an exercise, then fine, it is, it's very much needed to train. But the only thing that matters is that fullness. And so if you need to deny a window to complete the experience of a space, you have to allow yourself to deny the rule. You have given as discipline to an orchestration. It's a very serious profession making buildings. We have a lot of responsibility, economical, static, cultural, at the level of daily. So it's, it's a serious profession. It's not, uh, it's not a game. I think uh, that's why I think it's needed a low profile and a humble profile mm -hmm. to be architect. Maybe further to that point, there's this word that comes up in the way you described the, the position of your practice as being uh, defilad, mm -hmm. defiladed. Yes. This is a word I hadn't come across before, but it seems to suggest that um, you're consciously outside of um, or disengaged from um, certain distractions that um, tend to overtake us and pull us away from work and focus. You're kind of on the periphery, I guess, physically. Where is your studio located? In uh, Genova, at the moment, it is, uh, you cannot arrive by car, so you right. have to like, uh, bring on top also the 40 kilos of concrete when you're making the model, so it has some side effects, but it's <laughs> beautiful view towards the sea and it's detached, and this is a space for thought and reflection and focus and Yes, uh, but also on that I would like to um, a little bit uh, provoke uh, this uh, kind of uh, legend uh, on the retreat. Uh, very romantic. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> um, 
One thing I did very rapid uh, when uh, I won the competition on Saturday 3, I closed my website. Same day. Uh, the morning I got so many phone calls uh, and uh, I felt it was really not the time. Uh, I, I, I found it uh, highly embarrassing and unhonest, like everybody willing to talk uh, when there was nothing to talk about. There was no building, so what are we talking about? Just that. And so the only way in this time is to just uh, cut completely communication. And that was my, ch my choice. Which I'm aware is the opposite of, I think, anybody would do. But it's really coming from this very basic <laughs> thought uh, uh, that uh, there was nothing to talk about. Uh, it was my first building at a certain scale. It's different now, like with uh, other projects that are in progress, uh, because it's... Uh, um, they're going to be, we are, with the prototyping, uh, building permit. Uh, they already are in a process. But winning a competition is nothing yet for me. So we matter the building. Mm. And there is a <coughs> there is a span of years in which you seem to have consciously stayed removed. Yes, I was busy making <laughs> the building. <laughs> it has been an excruciating process, really. I, and I'm excruciating. Because of uh, politics, uh, um, this uh, deterministic, lazy pattern of professional. So, in order to make feasible something which was highly ambitious, like this a public building, ambition in the sense we spoke yesterday of this festivity of presenting uh, uh, a community. On the other side, a budget less than social housing, uh, seven million for 4,600 square meters, uh, 5,000. Aha. My you are no surprised. one can see me, my jaw is dropped. So I'm very proud, I'm very proud, less than social housing. Hmm? Hmm. And to do that, uh, in the competition, it was uh, like we had a plus uh, of uh, one million at the end, uh, but of this, like only 300,000 approximately for the scope of work of the competition, and the other were extra required by the client, Provincial Limburg, for to update uh, all uh, the fire, fire equipment of the existing building, which was not in the beginning part of the scope, mm. because I said that you have no money, you can, <laughs> you don't have the money, you have to choose, mm -hmm. clearly. And so from the competition, the decisions were very, very sharp. It's like 85% of the budget on the extension building, uh, and only 15 left uh, on the uh, extension. And also in the, in the extension building, uh, I mismatch renovation I meant, uh, in the extension building, there are really uh, facade taking money, the detailing, uh, and all the rest, uh, you could almost call it fish and chips, uh, but it is done with care. In every turn, uh, every cubic 
centimeters of the building is thawed. Mm. So it's quite uh, a process. And also it was public tender, so you cannot name a detail. So like you make all the cost check, uh, you develop an experimental facade, all, uh, but you cannot name the people. So all the tender documents were drawn uh, until one-to-one -one scale. So it was thousands and thousands and thousands of drawings. And all uh, the text uh, was uh, full of, um, I placed a lot of um, kind of those invisible ink sentences that everything had to be approved also by me. Uh. and not only the client. To protect a client, you need to be on top of the client, if you are homeless and respectful, of course, no? Like that you need a, a kind of double key to say yes. Mm. Because a, a public client is not like uh, a private asking your house, where you may have a dialogue and then that person has definitely the right to live how he wants, no? Mm. But public, uh, the public has responsibility for the invisible ones, uh, but also has uh, a, quite an agenda of, let's say, kind of ambitions uh, that may sometimes be in conflict with yeah. uh, wider good. Yeah. And then it, uh, we had a second tender because when it was right, it was cancelled. And uh, so all the process, it's like all 10 years, uh, the building site, uh, one year and a half working days so incredibly fast mm. Mm. so it's quite a process in that uh, I am highly stubborn so when uh, it was not clear the feedback from the contractor or for other actors of the process I was building up a very solid argumentation and putting everyone at the corner So logic matters, facts matter. And that way you can overcome uh, some uh, foolishness of pr process of making buildings. Mm. You can save money and you can make things feasible. And another thing is that people don't like to be taken as fool, as stupid. So once you share a vision and can you agree okay we go for it like with the workers people stand because they need pride and so I was discussing about the exchange of letters from Bauhaus with some masonry men I brought them some copies and then they were coming back with others they found on their own so a dialogue and uh, when people have dignity a lot more is possible beyond convention, meaning convention, not the part uh, of uh, uh, the cultural habits where you can rest in, but the lazy, a little bit cheaty frame that we most of the time encounter, mm -hmm. which is not something better than its own. It is bad in the moment you believe it's a kind of law of gravity, mm. when it's not. It's just uh, experiments of men and failures of men, so they can be discussed uh, or transformed. Mm. I think to end, I want to ask you about more about experimentation mm. and the way you've taken certain 
certain details into the studio to experiment on or fabricate in some cases. So with the museum, I'm thinking of the soffits or the ceiling, the diamond pattern ceiling. As I understand it, the molds of which were fabricated in, in your office? Um, not uh, digi digitally. Well, right. no, we, we made it a one-to-one -one to check the size <coughs> in papier mache. Mm. So this was a part of check one-to-one. Um, we also made uh, at, um, uh, a twin window that uh, I must say I have very, very much affection for that window, um, which has only uh, 230 millimeter of glass. So see my hand, mm -hmm. we say it's so narrow because also the wood is deep, mm -hmm. but then with this uh, form, it's very, very natural. We, we don't expect that. It's so there are a lot of one-to-one -one in the studio. Um, but all the point uh, is to, what we do in the atelier with my team uh, is uh, to check uh, hypotheses we made uh, so that we can support uh, the stand of other people. So we can give knowledge uh, that we discovered uh, or we have the solidity to support uh, when other people may have to make a battle for a common goal. So it's always a... Uh, uh, down to earth, but not in a trivial way. So it's kind of pragmatic humanism. Mm. On the other side, uh, uh, also looking this exhibition in, in Milan was very surprising. I found I have 20 years of work uh, that I didn't realize because I never look back, so I keep on going, mm -hmm. moving. And uh, there are really kind of assonances, and it's uh, strange that uh, in all projects, uh, uh, there is always a, a structural or construction experiment, but it ne it's never the purpose. It seems uh, I and we just land there to find uh, a, a, a solution that can uh, that is able to, uh, to combine several variables. Mm. And most of the time, uh, the, the most sensitive variable is silenceness. Silence, this naturalness where you don't need to see all the effort. You see this uh, with uh, the pendulum in Padova or uh, also this facade. It's, uh, it's jointless because there was no way to place uh, a joint because it couldn't become a theme because the windows had another logic. And so it would sound uh, dissonant, uh, forced. And so we had to make all these six years research to find a way to avoid joints uh, because otherwise it would have betrayed the citizens. Mm. So like, the motivation is uh, please let a child throw a ball on the wall uh, and have back a sound of a full wall, a real wall. That. How do you survive? Doing a lot of jobs uh, and uh, um, not meeting much myself, mm. or maybe I re maybe I need it the most because I need uh, naturalness and fullness in life. So maybe it's like uh, uh, literally Ariosto, but uh, practically I need not much. Good wine, a cigarette, good food. 
I just want to thank you for your time this morning and um, for um, bringing forward such evocative ideas and producing such evocative work. Um, and I guess giving me, and also I hope everyone else who's been able to, to hear you speak, uh, a renewed sense of freedom in the work they do, freedom and possibility. So thank you, Francesca. I thank you, Matthew, really. And uh, it's, uh, I really hope, because I was really speaking uh, with you. Mm. So I have no idea what is coming out and what is worth, but really speaking with you. So I'm, uh, I'm really touched for what you saw. Thank you. Now you have to go to work. Yeah. It's such a beautiful encounter. You've been listening to Scaffold. I'm Matthew Blunderfield and I produce the show. The theme music is composed and performed by Andrew Rayworth of the band Stanley Park, with additional music this week by Coleman Hawkins. Subscribe to Scaffold on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, and follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at scaffold underscore podcast. Thank you to Francesca Torzo and to the Architecture Foundation for supporting the show. Thanks as always to Scandal Lynn, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you again next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.